33, 1 through 3, says, A song of accents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The blessing life forevermore. Welcome back, Ariana. Hey, Glad you're here. And you guys might notice some empty seats today. A lot of people are at uh, Hillside right now. They're getting the membership class, uh, becoming members of the church, so that's really good. Uh, cause to celebrate. Um, before I get into the message, uh, I want to share with you guys my testimony, just how I, how I got saved. And um, basically, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, my dad has more of a crazy story. My dad was uh, just, uh, he was an alcoholic by the time he was eight years old. He was a drug addict by the time he was about 12 dealing drugs and uh he has the crazy story of meeting god and you know seeing angels and and all that wild stuff and praise the lord he got healed delivered and uh just set apart same with my mom and uh by the time i was born they were living you know the christian life they were seeking the lord and uh they're still seeking the lord today and so thanks to them uh, i was raised in a very safe environment very loving home and uh, i went to christian school i went to church i went to youth group sunday nights I did all those things, but to be honest, although I did all the church stuff, all the Christian stuff, and I knew the Bible decently for my age, uh, I didn't know God heart to heart. I had no relationship with him. And even when I prayed, I didn't really know he was there. It was just kind of like the force, you know, just kind of talking to that. And uh, it wasn't until I was 16, I was at a Christian camp, uh, summer camp, and it was during a night service, and uh, worship was just really powerful. And I heard God's voice for the first time. And uh, you guys know God is a relational God. God sent his son on the cross to die for us that he might have a relationship with us. That we might be able to talk with him. That our sins would be forgiven and that the holy could meet us covered by Jesus' blood. And um, I heard his voice. It was very simple. He just said, John Michael, uh, I love you. And um, it was just in that moment where certain memories just suddenly came to mind. And they're very simple memories. But they were memories of people showing me love, uh, of teachers, of friends, of people I wouldn't even expect showing me love. And I realized in every memory, God was behind them, that God was showing his love to me through these people. You see, 1 John 4.19 says, we love because God first loved us. And what I was starting to understand was all my life, God had been revealing his love to me. He had been speaking to me, but I was unaware. And it was in that night that I said, God, okay, I really want you in my heart. I really want to have a relationship with you. And I began to seek him. And he began to heal me. He began to deliver me from, from different sins. And, and uh, it's been a choice. I've never regretted in my life. And uh, he is so good. And uh, now I'm, I'm out here. I've been living out here almost five years now, serving at a children's home, teaching English there. It's an orphanage. And um, I just, I, I feel so alive. I wouldn't trade my life for anything else. And um, I'm so thankful for the love of the Lord. And I want to tell you guys that his love is a pure love. His, is, his love is an enduring love. And uh, working with these kids in this orphanage, something that's very common just psychologically is what's called the orphan spirit. And uh, for these kids, because they faced rejection, and it's really true for everyone, because they faced rejection in a certain moment in their life, in a certain way, causes this orphan spirit to come upon them. And just some of the, the traits of the orphan spirit is, is one is insecurity. Like, I, I'm a failure, I'm no good at this, I'm, I'm nobody. 
that can often plague someone who's been rejected. But another one, and I feel this, this is one that plagues a lot of people in the church, is detachment. Detachment and rebellion. Why? Because if I open myself up to this person, if I allow my, myself to attach to this person or this group, they might hurt me. And so I'm going to detach. I'm going to step away. I'm going to keep, keep my heart closed. And I want to tell you guys that this is a place where you are safe. That in this bar, of all places, in this church, in this fellowship, you are safe. And that there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That there is love. That if God could love Paul, who was once Saul, who, who murdered the, one of the first Christians, murdered him, and, and arrested Christians, persecuted them, if God would, would save him and heal him and anoint him and love him and cause this man to write most of the New Testament, of course, God will love each and every one of us. And He will not forsake us. He will not judge us. He will not condemn us. And I want to tell you that He shows His love through people, through the fellowship here. And I'm going to talk about that today. The anointing flows from the top down. I'm going to talk about the power of fellowship. But I want to tell you guys that this is a church where you don't have to worry about condemnation. This is a church where if you open up to the leaders, if you open up to me and you start just sharing about your past, you're not going to get a, oh my gosh, you're going to get compassion. You're going to get understanding because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we're not pretending that we're perfect people. Okay, I'm, I'm not a perfect person. I have many sins in my past and I still make mistakes today. But God's grace covers me. His love covers me and His joy overflows in my life. And He's making me stronger and stronger. And He has the same for each and every one of you here. So with that said, I want to get into this message. I'm going to say just a quick prayer. And then we're going to, we're going to get going on this. Heavenly Father, You're so good. Guys, You're so good. You are our Father, God. And You break off every orphan spirit, Lord. I just praise You, Lord, for my kids just in the home. And I just praise You, Lord God, for how they come. Lord God, just so beaten and so hurting. Lord God, so rejected, but Lord God, as they are loved, Lord God, as they just experience, Lord God, that unrelenting love, Lord, of, of me and the other workers at the home, Lord God, that they open up, that they're set free and that they smile, Lord God, and they're no longer, Lord, dominated by the past. And I thank you that your promises for each and every one of us here, that your love, Lord, is so strong, God. And Lord God, it is not your will that we live in shame. It is not your will that we live looking back into the past, but it is your will that we run into your light that we run into your arms, God. Yours is the love for us. And God, I just declare love being released today. Holy Spirit, we continue to just invite you. We enthrone God in this place. We declare that you reign in this place, that you are worthy, God. May you anoint my lips, Lord, and may you bless, Lord, the ears of all who hear today. We exalt your name. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I feel like I gave like a mini-sermon, and now I'm going to start the real sermon. Okay. Uh, today marks the fifth sermon in uh, nine of the core values of this church. And uh, Pastor Christian, because he preached last night at joint prayer, uh, and because he's got membership class today, he requested that I go ahead and take this one. It's the anointing flows from the top down. And this is actually a, a message that I preached upon in March before we came here to King Bar. It was before the church plant. And I preached a message called A Most Important Lesson. And it was about the power of humility and submission to authority. And so if submission to authority is a struggle for you, and I'm not just talking about in the church, but I'm talking about with your boss, with your parents, with just different people in your lives, even with the government, if this is an issue for you, I want to encourage you to, to look up the MP3 podcast on iTunes of that message. It's a most important lesson, and you can listen to that. I'll rehash a little bit of what I shared in that, but um, I'm going to kind of take us into a different route today. 
I got some new bread, some fresh bread for you guys. And uh, I want you guys to receive it. So if you're hungry for something new today, I want you to repeat after me. I want something new. I want something new. Amen. All right. First question you guys got to ask regarding the anointing flows from the top down is, what is the anointing? What, what is this that we're talking about? And uh, the word anoint in the Bible, it, it basically means to rub, to, to pour out, to just cover, okay, to even marinate. That's the word for anoint. And so, you know, in the church today, oftentimes when we anoint someone to be a leader, we'll take like a little bit of oil and we'll put it on the thumb and we'll just like, boop, you know, just so that they're not all like, you know, messy. But the truth is, is in the Old Testament, when Moses anointed Aaron, he took a flask and he poured it out on the guy. And just as, as Diane read in Psalm 133, I'll go over it again in a minute, it poured out over his head, over his beard, over his entire body. All right, that's the anointing. Because what the anointing symbolizes is the presence of God. The presence of God given to us to enable us to do our call. Do the, the call that God has on our lives. Okay, it's the presence of God that He gives us that enables us to, to fulfill the call He's given us. Isaiah 61.1, the vision of our church reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me too. Emphasis on the word too. Because the Lord has anointed me too, bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You can only do those things by the anointing of God. You can pray for healing all you want, but unless you have the anointing of God, the presence of God on your life, you're not going to see healing. You see, we didn't receive the Spirit of God when we became Christians. We didn't receive the Spirit of God just so that we can be happy, just so that we can sing, just so that we can cry or laugh or or whatever happens when you feel the Spirit coming upon you. God has given us His anointing, the Spirit of the Lord God, to reach out, to be a blessing to others. The Lord has anointed me too. You see, the anointing is what gives you a sense of purpose in your life. Everyone has a gifting. Everyone has a calling. And God says in the scripture that your gifts and your calling are irrevocable. Okay, they're not going to be taken away. But unless you have the presence of God working in your life, unless you have the presence of God covering you, you're not going to be able to totally identify with that calling. And that gifting, there's not going to be much power in it. You're going to start to lose your purpose. It's the anointing that gives us purpose. Why? Because we're here for God's glory, not for our own. And as we start to get under the God's anointing, we start to realize His purposes and His true will for our lives. See, when King Saul was anointed to be king over Israel, it says the Spirit of the Lord God came upon him in power. The anointing covered him. And he was, he was a new man. That's what Scripture says. He became a new man. He was anointed for the task of being king. And he was a mighty warrior. By the anointing of God, he was able to lead the Israelites into to battle after battle and victory after victory. God blessed him. But later in his life, Saul just began to disobey. He allowed pride. He allowed fear into his life. God rebuked him. God rebuked him again. And soon he was rejected as king. And what happened after that? Samuel was sent. The prophet Samuel was sent to David to anoint him as king, to take over that anointing that Saul failed to carry. Listen to this in 1 Samuel 16. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up, went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. See, God's given us the anointing so that we can fulfill the call upon our lives. But if we mistreat the anointing, if we ignore it, God will have to, he'll have to use someone else. 
Because it's only by God working in our lives that we can truly do His will. It's only by His love that we can love other people. And uh, before I get into the anointing flows from the top down, I want to make sure you understand the difference between gifting and anointing. Because sometimes people get it mixed up. Oh, that person's a really gifted musician. That's actually a lot different from being an anointed musician. See, in the church worldwide today, we got a lot of gifted musicians and singers. A lot of people that can get up there and they can play just the music perfectly. Tone, rhythm, melody, everything is perfect. And it sounds great. It's, you enjoy singing along with it. Just like any pop song or any rock song or, or anything you listen on the radio. They're, they're talented. They're gifted. But there's a difference when the person is anointed. Because when they're anointed, that's when the Spirit of God starts to move. The reason why we worship is to see God in His glory. The reason why we worship is to acknowledge who He is. But if we're just singing songs, if they're just coming out of our mouth, that's not true worship. That's just talk. It's just babble. And God says in Amos, away with the noise of your songs. Because the people weren't offering up true worship to the Lord. And uh, my, my favorite example of this is my friend Kevin. Uh, Kevin Yu, he used to lead worship for our church. And uh, he, he was an anointed guy. He led worship with Brian. And uh, he played the piano. But when we went to Myanmar last year, I told him, Kevin, you've got to learn the guitar. We need someone to lead worship on our team. They've got to be able to play the guitar. And uh, so I gave him one month. And uh, Kevin did the best he could. But to be honest, after one month, he really wasn't that good at the guitar. I'm just being honest. Um, it's okay. But uh, Kevin, he just he's still an anointed man. And was still in love with the Lord. And I want to tell you, when, when he led worship in Myanmar, it might not sounded perfect, the guitar, but when the Spirit of the Lord would start to rush upon him, it sounded perfect. And man, people's hearts were getting messed up. They didn't even understand what he was saying. We're in Myanmar, they don't speak English. But he's singing over people and they are crying. They are just, their hearts are getting ministered to in a deep way that they can't even understand. Why? Because the Spirit of God is so heavy upon Kevin. That anointing is so strong. And uh, that's why we need the anointing. Apart from the anointing, we can't do anything. Apart from the anointing, it's just going through the motions. But with God upon our lives, we can do anything. We can advance against the troop. We can scale the highest wall. First Samuel 3.19 says, As Samuel grew, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. You see, Samuel was so much in the heart of God that his words, every word he spoke cut to people's hearts. Imagine having that power that every word you speak, man, people are getting ministered to. People are getting cut to heart. People are praising the Lord. He wasn't just empty talk. He had the anointing of God upon him. He was walking with the Lord. So the question is, how do you receive this anointing? How do you receive the presence of God? And of course, it starts with relationship with Him. It starts with prayer. It starts with seeking Him, praising Him, telling Him who He is, just talking to Him, expressing your heart, being real with Him. Not putting on a facade, not, not going through this holy you know, checklist and prayer, but just talking with them, building a relationship with them. It's opening up the Bible and not reading it like a book, not just looking at it as a bunch of stories, but saying, God, this is your word for me. And so, God, I ask that you give me a spirit of revelation. I pray that you speak to me today because you got something to tell me. And I pray that you open my mind for it. And then read the word and let the Lord speak to you. That's how you start to receive the anointing. That's how you start to receive His presence, His relationship with Him. But that's not where it ends. You see, fellowship is critical for our growth in the anointing. And I want you guys to look at Psalm 133, 3. 133, 1 through 3. Put that up for us, please, Pastor Marcus. 
says this, Behold, how good and pleasant is it, it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. You see, the oil in this symbolizes the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you read the Bible, there are other symbols of the Holy Spirit. Fire, wind, water, a dove. These are all symbols of God's presence in the Bible. And here we see that oil being poured out upon, upon Aaron. And Aaron was the high priest in the Old Testament. And he was a symbol of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who is the head of the church. And that oil is poured out upon the head. It starts at the top and then it comes down upon his beard and then over his ropes. And I'm going to demonstrate how that symbolizes the anointing of God and how it flows through our lives as we honor those who are above us and honor those who are below us. And I want to tell you the context of this passage. How does the anointing flow? You look at verse 1. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Unity. And what brings forth unity? It's the word honor. Honor. And if you want the anointing to truly flow in and through your life, we have to establish a culture of honor. We have to establish honor in our lives. So I want you guys to look at that picture of the waterfall. If you could put that back up for us, Marcus. You see, what is this, Niagara Falls? Okay, so you see this mighty waterfall. I want you to look at the top of it. Okay, the top symbolizes the Father. Okay, because the Father pours out His Spirit upon us. When we ask the Father for His Spirit, He gives it to us. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. So He gives us His Spirit. Now, if you look at the bottom in that mist, there's, there's actually a stream of water that's rushing there at the bottom. And what that symbolizes is our calling. It symbolizes the purposes of God in our lives. Because really, without that water, that's dry land. Without that water, it's just, it's just parched, dry land. Hopeless, lifeless. But with that rushing stream of water, with the anointing of God, there comes forth life, as we read in Isaiah 61. The anointing brings life. He has a calling on your life to bring forth love and hope and freedom in this world. Amen. And the waterfall itself, what does it symbolize? Of course, it symbolizes us, the church. Apart from one another, we're just a trickle. We're just a drop. Boop. But together, we're a mighty waterfall. Together, we're a mighty torrent that can come and bring a stream of life, a river of life into a society and to those around us. So I want you to look at that waterfall, and I just want you to imagine yourself somewhere in there. Okay, not as a person, but like as water. Okay, you're somewhere in that waterfall. And what's happening? You're a part of that waterfall. Water is coming down from you, uh, upon you. Water is coming down from above upon you. And water is also going through you. That is the purpose of the anointing. Like I said at the beginning, God doesn't give us the anointing just so that we can, we can be happy. If you just sit there and receive, you're, you're damming up the, the uh, waterfall. I'm sorry, I said damn. Okay, you're, you're a dam in that waterfall. Okay, you're, you're restricting the flow of God. You've got to let the anointing flow through you. You've got to receive to give. That is the purpose of the anointing. And I want to tell you that God desires for you to honor those above you so that you're not blocking off what's coming down, so that you can open up and receive all that those above you have for you. And God also wants you to release he wants you to honor those below you so that you can release just that anointing, that love, and that freedom into this world. And I also want to tell you, God wants you to rise up in that waterfall. Because as you go up in that waterfall, your influence increases. 
And you are able to feed and to bless and to love more and more people. These are the desires that God has for our life. And we have to understand that the anointing flows from the top down. It starts with honor. So I want you guys to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's in the back of your Bible after Hebrews and James in the New Testament. It's before Revelation, of course. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 19. says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subjects to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. See, it is God's command for us not just to submit to the authorities. And that, that, that's not just for your church, but that's for the government. That's for your job. That's for your family. We are called to submit to our authorities. But not just submit. Because when people say submit, it sounds like you're a slave and you're just like, okay, I'll do whatever you say. No. He says honor. He says honor everyone. Especially your leaders. Honor them. And what honor is, is not just saying, hey, you did a good job. I honor you. What honor is, is constant respect. Constant esteem. Blessing these people. You see, this is true honor when you show respect and love regardless of how you are treated. He says, you don't just treat the, the good and gentle masters with respect, but you show respect to the unjust as well. Because it doesn't matter how they love you. You're to love them no matter what. You're, love, you're to love them the same. See, it doesn't matter how you conduct yourself to me. I'm going to always conduct myself the same. I'm not ruled by you. I'm ruled by the Lord. And I will honor all. I will bless all. I will love all. You guys understand this? That is the code of honor. That is the culture of honor. How you react is now no longer based on other people's actions towards you. It's based on God's love. It's based on who you are in God. You see, Joseph, David, Daniel, these are men in the Bible who are enslaved or, or who, are, who are chased for their lives. And they had oppressors as masters. They had some hard people. Joseph, he, he was thrown in prison. He was a slave to Potiphar. He had to serve them. David, King Saul tried to kill him number, numerous times. That was his boss. Imagine your boss trying to kill you. Okay, Daniel, he had to serve this, this, this emperor who had slaughtered his people, brought his people into exile, had made him into a eunuch. How would you feel if your boss ugh, made you into a eunuch? Okay, yet they showed honor. These guys showed love. These guys served them. They cared for them. They said, look, I, I don't belong to this earth. I'm part of the kingdom of God. I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. This life is momentary. It's short. So I'm going to live it to the fullest. And I'm not going to let you ruin my life. I know who I am in God. And I'm going to love. I'm going to bless. And I'm going to treat you with honor no matter how you treat me. Joseph, David, Daniel become some of the most honored men in the Bible. Amazing men of God. 
So how do you grow that, this culture of honor? So it's not just suddenly, okay, I'm just going to love everybody like, you know, the same. I'm going to just do this. It takes work. I'm going to tell you it takes work. And the first step to grow that culture of honor is to pray, especially for your leaders. Because Satan, his first sin was rebellion against God. His first sin was pride and saying, I, I'm better than God. That was his sin. And so that's his first attack against most people is rebellion, is pride. And the only way you can come beyond that is through prayer and seeing people how God sees them. When you start to pray, your lenses are taken off from this world and you start to see spiritually. Rather than seeing, oh, that person's filled with pride. That person's just a jerk. I don't like that person. You start seeing them as made in the image of God. You see them as someone that God loves, that God died for. Worth serving. Worth loving. You got to make this your prayer. You know, with my kids at my home, when they, when they just start doing wrong and uh, i'll just be thinking man these kids are just uh, this was really hard for me when i first got there and i couldn't speak the language and uh I, i'd be serving them and they would just get rebellion and disrespect be cursing you know how kids are and uh and uh, i would go to my room and i'd be like god i want to go home i want to go back to america uh, I'm, I'm tired of this these kids it's just it's not working uh, I, i'm, I'm out of here but you know god you, you sent me here and i, I love you and, you know, as much as Satan's comforting voice of you've done enough and just go home, as, as, as much as that sounds so comforting, God, I know that you sent me here for a purpose, that you love these kids, you have purposes for these kids. So, God, I pray, help me see them as you see them. Help me love them as you love them. And I'll tell you, that's what's given me the strength to persevere. And now for my kids, I mean, that, that doesn't really happen anymore. His love has grown so much within me as I've prayed for them, as I've been with them, that they're, they're like my sons and daughters. These kids are so close to my heart now. But it was hard early on. And you've got to understand that even if it's hard early on, that doesn't mean that, oh, there's no hope. Oh, I should just give up. Oh, I should just quit on this person. You keep praying. God died for them. God loves them. It doesn't just start, stop with prayer, though. If you follow Peter's instruction here in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You should do good to those around you. Not just honor them, but, but bless them. Serve them. See, Jesus came to be servant for all. And if your love is based on people's performance, if it's like, well, I really like these people. You know, they like sports. They like, you know, they like Mexican food. They like the Simpsons. I, I can hang out with them. You know, they, they're pretty cool. But these people, I, I, I don't know. They're just, they're just kind of strange. They like these things. I'm not going to hang out with them. I don't want to really be with them. This person has a character flaw. This person just, this part about their character, I really don't like. I, I don't want to be with this person. I'd rather just leave the room when this person's here. If that's your type of love, I want to tell you that your love is false. It's not just fickle. It's false. It's not true love. It's a love based on works, not based on grace. It's a love that you've got to earn in order to receive. And you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. If you put standards upon people of how much honor or love you will show them, then God's going to put those standards upon you. This is a heavy word. It's the same with unforgiveness. Scripture says right after the Lord's Prayer, if you forgive those that, that have wronged you, your Father in Heaven will forgive you. But if you do not forgive those who have wronged you, Father in Heaven will not forgive you. You see, you reap what you sow. And it's the same with honor. If you put a standard on certain people and say, I'll only be your friend if you act this way. I'll only hang around you if you act this way. And I'll, or I cannot tolerate these certain flaws in, in this person. Then God is going to say, okay, I'm putting a standard on you as well. And you're only able to receive so much of His anointing, so much of His blessings in your life. 
You see, when you start putting those standards, you're starting to put walls up above you. And that waterfall just starts going all around you. Starts missing you. You have to develop honor. You have to do good. Serve them. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, including Judas. He washed Judas' feet. That should be something we got to take to heart. If you need biblical examples of the danger of not submitting to authority, disrespecting authority, just read the book of Numbers. Just open up your Bible and read the book of Numbers. It's scary if you read it. Moses, okay, he's the leader. He's taking the Israelites out of the desert. He's got a sister named Miriam. He's got a brother named Aaron who's the high priest. Miriam and Aaron, they start to get jealous and Moses start gossiping about him. Start saying, oh, he's not that great. You know, we're, we're, we're so much better. Blah, 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 blah. And God rebukes them to their face. And he shows up. And then he strikes Miriam with leprosy. My goodness. It's not until Moses prays for mercy and for healing for Miriam that he says, okay, seven days. But this is the honor that God demands. Okay, a couple chapters later, he wasn't any easier on the sons of Korah. They said to Moses and Aaron, oh, we're just as anointed as you. We're just as good as you. Why are you saying you're our leaders? And they started anarchy in the camp. How did God respond? He said, you guys put, put them aside. The earth opened up, swallowed them alive. Pretty harsh. The Israelites, the spies come back. And they say, hey, you know, 10 of the spies are like, oh, it's no good. You know, this thing that God and, and Moses and Aaron are saying is so great. Oh, it's scary. We don't want it. We know what's better for us. We want to go back to Egypt. And they start spreading this lie and this discord, this dissension, this rebellion among the people. So how does God respond? He says, okay, not one of you except for those four, Moses, uh, not even Moses and Aaron, I'm sorry, except for Joshua and Caleb who, who honored the authorities. Everyone else, you're not getting the promised land. You're not getting what I called to give you. My anointing, my blessing upon your life, I'm taking away because you have dishonored, you have disrespected, you have turned from me. Some heavy words. See, God puts authorities in our lives so that we can learn love, honor, and selflessness. So that we can be put in shape. I mean, if, if you're in the army and you start disrespecting your authorities, uh, it, it doesn't really work out that well for you. Is that right, Matt? Okay. It's not that good. And our God is gracious. He is compassionate, but he will not tolerate rebellion. He will not tolerate the sin of Satan. He will not tolerate it in his church. So this is something that we have to work on. We have to ask God, God, give me your eyes. Give me your heart for these people. Help me honor them. Help me do good to them. But it doesn't just stop with honoring your authorities. It doesn't stop with just blessing those who are above you. It's also those who are below you. And I want you to keep your Bible open and turn one page. 1 Peter chapter 3. I was going to use this as uh, my main passage. It's on husbands and wives, but I thought it would throw you guys off. So I'm just going to focus on one verse of it. Verse 7 it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. God created man to be the head of the family. And if you read verses 1 through 6, it talks about the wife needing to submit, to obey and to honor her husband. And this section doesn't just relate to marriage, but it talks about any area of authority, just like Second, uh, First Peter chapter 2. The owner, if the owner is the head of an organization, if the owner is the head of the church, the owner is the head, you know, a head teacher, whatever, you're called to honor. You're called to bless. 
But that owner, that head, the leader, whoever is in authority is also called to honor those who are below them. Because if they do not, their prayers will be hindered. That word for hindered in the Greek basically means to be cut off, impeded, prevented, blocked. So that basically means if I'm not showing honor to you guys, my prayers aren't being heard. My prayers are being blocked. It's pretty dangerous. Now I want to, I want to make it clear um, that it's not just the pastor who has authority in the church. Or it's not just the, the leader of an organization that this is expected of. But this is expected of every single person who has influence. That if you're leading a small group, if you're teaching a bunch of children, if you have a younger sibling, if you have someone in your life that you are influencing, you are called to show them honor. You are called to share that anointing that you have received with them, to bless them, to feed them, to be intentional. And if you say, oh, I got no influence, then I want to warn you that you are not living according to God's will. In God's will, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's his command. I don't care if you've known God for 20 years or for one day. His call is to make disciples. His call is to reach out. And so if you feel, oh, I got no influence, then you need to pray and ask God, God, grant me some people in my life that I can just start loving, that I can start feeding into, that I can start honoring and blessing and demonstrating the glory of God to them. And when you are in that place of authority, it is your responsibility to make sure that anointing flows. And I'm talking about in your classroom. I'm talking about at your home. I'm talking about here in the bar, wherever you go. You carry the glory of God with you. Scripture says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I, I kind of challenged some of you guys a couple weeks ago after Sunday Swim. I'm going to share that story again. But uh, I, I serve, as I said, at a children's home, at an orphanage. We have about 75 kids. And uh, every Tuesday night, I lead basketball practice for about 10 boys, junior high, high school boys. And they got all sorts of different backgrounds, different issues, different things you know, about them. But... We usually have a great time together. Now and then, though, one of those boys, maybe he was disciplined at school, maybe he just messed up, or maybe he's just in a bad mood. He'll come with a wrong spirit on him. And he'll come, and, and if I'm not careful, if I'm being oblivious, that spirit will start to just affect the other boys around him. And soon it'll start affecting me. And when the kids are disobedient, when the kids start complaining, when the kids start getting short with each other, I start getting short with them. I start getting angry. I start getting frustrated. And I realized I've let that spirit take authority here. I've let that spirit take control. And so God convicted me. He said, he that lives within you is greater than he that lives within this world. And God convicted me that I have to take authority over this situation. That because I'm the coach, because I'm the adult, I should have authority here. And that no wrong spirit, no spirit of anger, of disobedience, of, of cursing, whatever, should have authority here. And so God convicted me. I need to honor these boys. I need to be aware I need to make sure that love is constantly being communicated. And I'll tell you, when I start practice and when we go through, I'm smiles, I'm joyful. I enjoy being there, but I, I have to be intentional. I have to be aware. If I'm oblivious, I'm just like Adam with Eve. Just oblivious that Satan comes in and takes her away. I have to be aware. And I found that as I show honor to my boys, they respond. They respond in, in love. They respond in joy. And whatever wrong spirit they carry in starts to dissipate, starts to go away. Rarely do I have to discipline. See, often our, our, our mindset is, I'm going to discipline right away. Oh, you messed up. Well, I'm, going to, I'm going to hammer you. I'm, I'm going to lay it on you. But God says, no, honor them first. Honor them. And as you establish that atmosphere of honor, they will respond likewise. We have to carry that authority. It is our duty. 
So what do you do though? Now, I'm talking about the anointing flows through you as well. What if the, the leader above you, what if your hagwan boss, or what if you know, your pastor, or what if whoever is restricting that anointing? It's just not showing any love, any, any respect. The atmosphere is tense. It's no good. What do you do? How do you honor them? Well, I want to tell you God's promise in Ezekiel 34 is punishment for those who do not release that anointing. Punishment for the leaders who do not tend to their sheep. And so you don't have to worry about your pastor. You don't have to worry about your boss having this control forever and you just being a slave forever. Joseph didn't have to worry about being in prison forever because he knew that God was the lifter of his head. But I also want to tell you, if you hear that word and it brings you comfort that, oh, well, if my pastor you know, I, I don't like or, or my boss who I don't like, oh, judgment's coming, that's good. You got to check your heart. You got to check what's going on in there. Because God's given you these leaders to bless you, to feed into you, and to strengthen you. And I don't care how, how bad, how tough they are, how profane your boss might be. You've got to pray for them. You've got to love on them. Because Satan will always attack the head. Satan will always go for the top. Because he knows the top will affect the bottom. The top will affect everyone below. So we've got to bless them. We've got to pray for them. And I want to tell you, there might be times where, where you might feel led to, to confront them or you might need to correct them, whether someone above you or below you. But I want to tell you, you've got to be careful for those who are above you. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. God expects greater honor for those who are above you. And if you are a true son, then what you will do is you will look away from your father's nakedness and you will cover him over. You will show grace. You see Noah in the Bible. He, he got drunk and he was laying there. I guess he was unclothed. One of his sons came in and saw him and went out and started telling the brothers. And I don't know what was going on in his mind. But the other sons came in and without looking, they showed grace to their father and they covered him up. You know what happened was the son that gossiped, the son that went out and spread that bad report about the father, he was cursed. His descendants were cursed. But the sons that showed honor that showed grace, that covered up that wrong or covered up that offense, they were blessed. They were true sons. And so I want you guys to understand that, that the higher the, the person is up, you just need to bless them and love on them. If you are working for Apple Computers and Steve Jobs, the CEO, did something that offended you or you didn't agree with, would it be in your right as an employee of Apple Computers to go to headquarters, to take that elevator on up to the executive suite and to go in and confront him? And say, look, I don't agree with this. You're wrong. I, I just got to correct you. Blah, 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 blah. You'd be fired very quickly. Okay, you would be removed. You wouldn't even be allowed up there. Because you're not in his realm of influence. You are not a part of the board of trustees. And what you got to understand is that God is in control. And if you react with this heart that I got to correct everybody. Or I got to correct this. Or this person is wrong. Or, or something like that. You are not acting in faith. Because you're saying, it's up to me. I, I got to take control here. If you are truly exercising faith, then you will pray. Then you will pray and you will trust that in God's hand is the king's heart. And he directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. You will trust in the Lord. You see, in the Bible, among all the kings, there were a lot of wicked kings. A lot of kings that did wrong. But only once did one you know, regular servant or regular citizen of the nation confront the king and rebuke him. Only once. His name was Shammai. It was in 1 Samuel 16. He confronted David. Shammai was later executed. Okay? When there's correction, okay, among leadership, 
You know, in the Old Testament, God would send a prophet. God would send someone in that realm of influence and God would send it in love and honor and in grace. And if the king heart, if he would repent, God would bless him. If he refused, then okay, there would be separation and judgment. But what you got to understand is that God is in control. We live by faith. We don't live by trying to take things in our own control. We trust in the Lord. And so you can be at peace to know that the leaders in the church are going to take care of you. And if they do not, you need to pray for them for mercy and grace because that's the heart of God. And God will deal with them. God will bless them. But if it is someone in your sphere of influence, if it's, say, kids that you're, you're teaching, or if it's your small group member, or, or it's, a, it's a leader that you feel close enough with that you can talk to and confront, what you need to understand is that whenever there is confrontation, whenever there is correction, it should hurt. It should hurt. It should hurt the one who's doing the confronting. It should hurt the one doing the correcting. You guys hear that right? If ever you need to confront someone, if it doesn't hurt, you shouldn't do it. You're not in the right spirit. You're not in the spirit of love. You see, when you confront someone, it can never be out of a desire to vindicate yourself or release frustration. It has to be done out of love. So at my home, when, when my kids are, you know, mouthing off or, or disrespect or, you know, doing something wrong and I'm trying to teach, you know, I'll, I'll say, okay, you know, stop that or don't, don't do that. I'll, I'll correct them. But if they continue that behavior, there's a reason why you have time out. There's a reason why you say, go to your room. There's a reason why you say, see me after class. Because if you confront them right on the spur of the moment, oftentimes anger will come out. Oftentimes frustration or, or not really the right emotions will come out. And that spirit that's on them will start affecting you. You need a moment. You need a moment. I need a moment. So I'll tell them, okay, you need to leave. And I won't just leave it at that. I won't just, okay, you know, he's gone and now class is good. After class, what I do is I pray for that child. And I forgive that child. And I bless that child. And I release all poison that might have gotten in me when I got frustrated. All poison when, when that child did whatever what that child did. And I'll pray and I'll get that heart that is right. And whenever I discipline, whenever I correct, whenever I confront, be it a child or a member of the church... I always try to do it in a manner of love where they know that my love for them is not changing on a result of their sin or as a result of their failure. That my love is constant, that I care for them, and that I want the best for them. That this is for their good. And the reason why it hurts me is just the knowledge that that wrong that they did could truly hurt them. It could hurt me as well, but it could truly hurt them. And I want them in the right. I want to bless them. So know that. Take that to heart wherever you go and whatever you do honor show honor and if you must confront it has to hurt there has to be that love that peace that gentleness that right heart so before i close i want to emphasize that god also desires for us to move up that waterfall not for your glory for for the kingdom's sake for his glory and as you are faithful and submitting to the authorities above you as you receive just humility as you get that servant's heart, as you grow in that, that selfless love that no matter what, I'm just going to love and I'm going to serve, God's going to lift you up. And God is going to increase the influence in your life because you've proven yourself worthy. If you guys heard the message last week by Pastor Christian, it was called Be Faithful in the Small Things. And if you take that message to heart, you're, you're well on your way to moving up that waterfall. You're well on your way to receiving more and more of God's anointing so that you can bless others. So I charge you, church, show honor both to your leaders and to those you are leading. Even the babies, even the little ones that you care for, show them honor. 
They are children of God. They are made in God's image. Treat one another as true sons and daughters. Each the same. Love shows no favoritism. Don't allow the actions of another person affect the way that you show love. You're too good for that. Show honor no matter what and let the anointing flow through your life. Let me close this in prayer.